Thanks, everybody. Um, so the title of that tune, does anyone know what it was? The Thrill is Gone. And um, while, it, well, I'll tell you what, while, while it wasn't uh, originally written, I don't think with the church in mind, uh, I, uh, I heard it recently, and, uh, and it occurred to me that, you know, in a way, it does express the feelings of a lot of Christians who, when it comes to spiritual life, admit that the thrill seems to be gone. You know, our, our relationship with God has lost some of its punch, some of its passion, some of its vitality, and, and as a result, has brought on sort of the spiritual blues, if you will. And like David, King David in the Old Testament, you know, we long for the joy of our salvation to, be, to, to return, for the thrill of knowing God to, to be restored. And so over the last several weeks, we've been exploring the idea of establishing a spiritual habits that can help shape, revitalize, and, and, and indeed deepen our walk with God. And from the very start of the series, we've, de- we've defined spiritual habits as those activities we engage in that repeatedly bring us back to God and facilitate spiritual growth and health. And uh, so far along the way, we've addressed classic habits like prayer, fasting, confession, silence, celebration. But this morning, I want to consider something I view as a spiritual discipline, and it's something that Jesus spoke about, but we rarely ever mention. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, if you have them with you. Great. If not, you should find one that you can use down in one of the chair racks around you. But um, New Testament, Luke chapter 6. And what we find in this particular text uh, is arguably the most challenging, convicting, frustrating, avoided, or just plain ignored discipline in Scripture. Not because of its complexity, but because of its simplicity. We all understand it and what's involved with it. And the spiritual habit I'm talking about is the habit of loving others and doing good for them. Now, some of you are immediately thinking, hey, what's, what's the big deal with that? I, I get that. I'm working on that. I kind of got it down. In fact, loving people, doing good things. But here's the rub. I'm not talking about people in general. I'm talking about a specific group of people. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke chapter 6, beginning verse 27. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, let's be honest about it. These words of Jesus are hard to listen to, let alone making it a habit of obeying them. And yet Jesus was speaking to his followers, which means that if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, he is speaking to you, and he is speaking to me. 
And as many of us know, later on in this, in this, in this, uh, this biography of Jesus written by Luke, and back in, uh, over in chapter 10, Jesus says to his followers, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And, which seems reasonable, even plausible for us. At the same time, he says, And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And that seems like a good thing. That holds possibilities for us. But those comments are four chapters away. Well before Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, he calls us to love our enemies. What is that about? And how are we going to do that? And why should we do it? I don't know about you, but the very thought of it raises my spiritual anxiety. But if we take a deep breath, slow down, I think that we can begin to better understand uh, what Jesus' overall message here, here is, okay? So let me, let me set the context for you. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has just called his 12 disciples together, Matthew, Mark, John, um, Peter, uh, all the rest. And in, in chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, he begins to define more clearly for them and actually for a larger group of followers what exactly Christian discipleship means, And if I could sum it up in three words, I would say that being a true disciple of Jesus means that we are unique. In other words, the way that we understand or react to the world around us uh, is is radically different from everybody else. I mean, keep in mind, Jesus Jesus promised that those who follow him uh, can and will experience joy even if we're poor, because we know we have riches in the kingdom of God. And we can be happy even if we're hungry because we know that someday we will be satisfied. And we can, we can find comfort even in the midst of pain because we know that in heaven there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more separation, no more suffering. And even when, when, when others hate us and, 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 and family excludes us or our friends insult us or the world rejects us, we can experience a, a, a true sense, deep sense of peace because we know that our reward is on its way. But... This is not how average human beings respond to challenges of life and the difficulties of life. As Christians, our view of things changes. And we see life experiences uh, from an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one. And that makes us weird. Uh, The Apostle Peter says we are peculiar. Uh, And so it seems to me that this is the underlying premise of Jesus' message here. He's telling us that being a follower of his, it changes us from the inside out. It changes us because God's truth, God's love, God's grace changes us. And it makes us different. And one of the most significant ways we are set apart from the rest of the world is that as Christians, in life, we respond to God, not to man. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, In verse 27, Jesus gives us what is essentially a mandated habit. You know, it's not a suggestion. It's not an idealistic aspiration. Notice Jesus says, to you who are listening, in other words, I know you're all going to hear what I'm about to say, but not all of you are going to grasp it and accept it uh, when I tell you, but here it is. Love your enemies. You You can almost hear and imagine the, the, the collective gasp of the group. You know what I mean? What did he just say? What, did, what are we supposed to do? Love who? Who? Understand, um, at this point in time, Jesus' followers were predominantly Jewish men and women who every single day were living under an oppressive Roman military occupation. 
And they hated the invaders. They hated the Romans because of it. And they had some justification. I mean, they were heavily taxed, they were tightly controlled, and they were kept in line by the threat of Roman brutality. And so what Jesus says here must have sounded just outrageous, wrong, ridiculous, immoral, uh, traitorous. And what's worse is Jesus doesn't limit his command to the Romans. He says, love your enemies, i.e., any and all of them. In fact, the Greek term that's used for enemy here refers to any person, any person who acts in hostility toward you. It's an extreme term. And so think about it. If Jesus calls his followers to love those who act with extreme hostility toward us, then obviously we're also called to love those who mistreat us in much lesser, lesser ways. And with that being the case, and given that we're not living under a harsh, oppressive military regime, who is our enemy? Who is it? In 21st century American culture, I, I think it could be any number of individuals. For example, it could be your boss who goes out of his or her way to make work just miserable. It could be a person in your circle of acquaintances who, who you feel speaks harshly toward you and condescendingly. It could be a former spouse who turned divorce proceedings into the worst nightmare of your life. It could be a son, a daughter, a child who, whose rebellion has torn apart the fabric of your family. Maybe it's a friend who turned on you and betrayed you or slandered you or maybe just seriously disappointed you. Or perhaps it's the thief who broke into your car and stole your stereo or the teacher who falsely accused you of cheating and got you kicked out of, out of school or suspended. Or maybe it's a fellow employee who's just kind of creepy, you know, who treats you kind of like dirt, especially because you are quote-unquote religious. Maybe it's the creditor who forced, uh, forced you into bankruptcy or the guy down the street who hates your dog or, you know, the physician whose malpractice stole your health and left you in pain or the investor who lost your savings, or the fiancé who was unfaithful and just shattered your heart. As you consider the possibilities, I'm guessing our response is the same as the first group. And we're like, what? I'm supposed to do what? I'm supposed to love who? How do I love someone I don't even like? How do I love someone who's hurt me? How do I love someone who I disagree with? How do I, how do, I do this? And what does Jesus mean by love anyway? That's a good question. You know, we often associate the idea of love with emotions. And so we wonder, you know, does Jesus mean I'm supposed to have the warm, fuzzy feelings about these people? Well, no. Jesus isn't calling us to the emotional affection we naturally find and experience in our families. He's not, he's not commanding romantic love. He's not referring to brotherly love or friendship. Rather, Jesus uses the Greek term agape which means, it refers to, to love not motivated by the merit of the one being loved. In other words, it's, a, it's an unconditional thing. It's something that goes well beyond emotions. It represents a deliberate and disciplined choice to commit oneself to the welfare of another. It's rooted in the will, and it is revealed through action. Christian Author and thinker C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, puts it this way. He said, it's a, we're talking about a self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love that is concerned only with the good of its object. 
And so basically, Jesus calls his followers to deliberately choose to love and make a habit of actively helping those who mistreat us and are hostile to us, even in the most minor of ways. In fact, Jesus elaborates on it. He says, it means you do good to those who hate you. And we're like, well, I'll do good. I'll do good to stay away from them. They'll, be good. They'll do good to stay away from me, right? That's not what Jesus means. That's not what he's saying. To do good means to act in someone's best interest who doesn't necessarily deserve it, to help them, to do something that will benefit that person. As my friend Bob Goff puts it, love does. Love is a verb. Love takes action. Verse 28, Jesus says, And bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And we're like, yeah, I'll pray for them. I'll pray for God to take them out. That's what I'll pray for. You know, that, that's what we pray. That's not what Jesus means. No, no. Jesus, Jesus means when he says, bless those who curse you, he means that you speak well of those who don't speak well of you. And you pray for God's best in their lives. You get what he's, he's saying here? Jesus is saying, as Christians, we are to be different. We are not to be people of reckless retaliation. In fact, he presses the point here with three examples. <clears throat> First, he says, he says let's, say someone, let's say someone slaps you in the face. And, and Jesus says, even if someone uh, strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, let's be clear, first of all, on what Jesus is not saying. He's not suggesting we invite or welcome abuse by any stretch of the imagination, or become masochistic. Neither is he saying that any and all retaliation to aggressive behavior is wrong. Now, there's some people who like to um, use this text to support pacifism or oppose just war or capital punishment, but you know, this con- the context of this statement has nothing to do with any of those things. Jesus' point is that in our, in our average, everyday lives and relationships, as individuals, we are not to mirror the brutal actions of other people. In fact, when the Apostle Paul writes to the early church about this whole loving your enemy stuff, he says, he goes, look, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When I was a kid, I was in like third grade, second or third grade. Uh, I was with my mom one day in the car. I'll never forget it. It's like it just happened. Uh, it was very vivid in my mind. We were driving down the street, um, and uh, uh, a, a car pulls right out in front of us. I mean, we almost hit it. Brakes are screeching. That was back when we didn't have to wear uh, seatbelts. You know, so moms are like, you know, she's like breaking my fall there. And, and so we just missed this guy, pulls out in front of us, and my mom is screaming. And, I mean, she lets out a line of expletives that would have uh, blushed a sailor. I mean, she just lets this guy have it full, both barrels. And she is so upset. I'm saying, Ma, it's okay. It's okay. So what are you talking about? It's okay. I took care of it. I took care of it. What are you talking about? I took care of it. I said, well, you know, I, and then I described how using one arm, one hand, and one finger, I set the record straight with this individual about how we felt about their pulling out in front of us. And my mom, 
And my mom said, you did what? I said, yeah, don't tell you, I took care of it. And she goes, don't you ever do that again. And she goes, oh, bang. I mean, and that wasn't a protective thing. That was a smacky thing, you know. And she just nailed me straight in the face. And I will never forget it. Uh, and, I, and I tell you this, at that very moment, I decided three things. I decided uh, to always stay clear of mom's reach. You know, that was, that was one thing. I also decided that if I ever had kids, I would never, ever slap them in the face because it's degrading and it's painful. Uh, and then I also decided that I would never, ever sit by and let anyone do that again to me. I don't care who it was. It would never happen. And if it did, there would be, there would be a trouble. And, uh, and that's how I... That, that's true. I mean, you ask my family, you ask my kids growing up, man, what's the one thing you never do to dad? Don't ever hit him in the face. He will freak out. And it was true. But here's the deal. If for some reason you got so mad at me this morning, for whatever reason, and you came up to me after the service and you slapped me across the mouth, which I still highly advise against, but let's just say it happened. <laughs> if it say it happened, Jesus says to me, Ray, don't you slap back. Don't slap back. Why? Because I'm called to respond to God, not to the sinful behaviors of other human beings. Jesus says, here's another example. Let's say, let's say someone robs you. You know, someone takes your coat. Do not stop him from taking your shirt. Here's my Ray K summary of that. If you get mugged and the mugger wants to take your cool black leather jacket, let him have it and give him your Nike sweatshirt too, which frankly in a mugging situation is pretty good advice, right? But Jesus' point isn't to educate us on crime scene safety. He's, he, he's telling us that in our daily lives and, res, and, and relationships, we are to respond without retaliation. In verse 30, he says, and how about this? What if you lend money to someone and they don't pay you back? Let's say, let's say a person comes to you with a legitimate need and you have the resources to help them. Yet that person's never been particularly nice to you. They haven't been really kind to you. You don't even really like them that much. But what are you going to do? Jesus says, well, go ahead and help them. Do good for them. Well, what if that person pays back the, the principal, but they don't pay back the interest on that loan? Jesus says, let it go. And don't get a bad attitude about it. Now, Here's the thing. Often in his teaching, Jesus used a form of speech known as hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggerated statement meant to illustrate a simple truth. So understand something. Jesus isn't calling us to be a bunch of beat up, abused wimps who own nothing because we naively allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by every, every violent person, every thief, every con artist that comes our way. He's not saying that. He uses hyperbole here. He uses these overstated examples to communicate that, that as his followers, we are not to repay evil for evil. We're to be different. Even when, it, even when it comes to those who are hostile toward us, we're to be gracious, we're to be generous, and not retaliatory or vengeful. But here's the problem. We really like revenge. As human beings, we really like revenge, don't we? And I think we like it because, well, because it's sort of divine in nature. I mean, retro, that makes sense to me because retribution is the prerogative of God. It's not our prerogative, though. God alone reserves the right 
of executing just, justice on evil because he alone is pure and holy and just and righteous and good. We are not. We are not. I mean, let's face it. Our motives aren't always pure. We're more about getting even than anything else. And we don't feel bad about slandering someone who has slandered us because it makes us feel right and good and just. You know, if, if the name of a person who's hurt us in some way comes up in a conversation, we feel the moral obligation to, to slam them publicly or, you know, just to set the record straight so all the world will know how rotten they are and how, how good and innocent and kind we are. So we let them have it. You know, we like revenge as human beings. We like it because on some level it makes us feel powerful and vindicated and superior. But such retaliation is not the example of Jesus nor the teaching of Scripture. God says, vengeance is mine to repay. It's not yours. Your responsibility, my responsibility as followers of Christ is to what? To do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the mandate. Love your enemies. Deliberately choose to do good, to bless, to pray for those who... who, who uh, are less than kind to you. Don't retaliate when, mis, when mistreated, but be gracious and be kind and be generous to those who don't deserve it. But what's the rationale behind all this? Well, as we said before, it makes us different, but more specifically, establishing the habit of loving this way makes us, makes us more like Jesus. You know, we mirror the goodness of God, not the evil of humanity. In verse 32, Jesus says, look, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Translation, Jesus says, look, it's not hard to love those who love you or those who are nice to you. That's easy. Anybody can do that. That won't distinguish you or me from anybody else in the world. But if we deliberately love those who aren't so nice to us, it shows that we're different. Jesus says, so you go and you make the willful decision to love your enemies. And, and you do it by, by doing good to them and, and serving them and helping them without a bunch of expectations or strings attached. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High, Jesus says. In other words, he's saying, love this way and you will be children of the Most High God. What exactly does he mean by that? It's simple. Jesus is saying, if we choose to love those who don't deserve it, we will demonstrate and we will prove that we are God's children. Why? Because we will mirror the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. Notice uh, the end of verse 35, Jesus says, Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And again, you hear that and you say, Ray, are you telling me, are you telling me that I have to deliberately choose and make a habit of loving someone who's wicked and, and mean and ungrateful and dishonest and, and greedy and violent? You're telling me I've got to do that? I've got to be merciful to these people? No, I'm not telling you anything. Jesus is telling you. He's the one who said it. You may say, well, you know, look, I'm not feeling too good about that. I'm not feeling too good about loving those, those wicked, messed up, twisted, broken individuals. Okay. But now you know how God feels about you. Hmm? 
It amazes me how short our memories can be. Look around the room. God has chosen to love each and every one of us and all of our brokenness. We who don't deserve it. He's kind to those who have hated him in the past. He's patient with those who rebel against him. He forgives those who are disobedient to what he says is good and right and healthy and safe. He gives freely to those who rarely give anything back. He blesses those who curse him. He provides good things to those who who, uh, sometimes don't even acknowledge he exists. If God, our Heavenly Father, is willing to do those things for us, why shouldn't we be willing to do them for others? Are we better than God? Obviously not. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we're told, God so deliberately chose to love and do good for this world of ours, he sent his only son. And whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. God is incredibly gracious. The Apostle Paul writes to the church and he says to Christians, remember, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were what? Enemies because of your evil behavior. But God loved you anyway. And now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. The Apostle John, he writes to Christians in the church, he says, he goes, don't forget this, this is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And John goes on to write that, he says, we love others because God first loved us. And this is how we know that we're children of God. Because we do this, we love others, even our enemies. We mirror the goodness of our Father in heaven. So the long and short of it is, not only Jesus and John and Paul and Peter, but all of Scripture teaches those who have experienced the grace of God will extend grace to those who don't deserve it. Those of us who have tasted of God's mercy will show mercy. We who've been forgiven will in turn forgive. Those of us who truly know God's love will demonstrate God's love even to our enemies. So here again is the question. Who is your enemy? Hmm? Who, Who has mistreated you somehow? Who has wounded you? Who has said ill of you? Who has disagree with you? Who, don't, who do you just don't like? I'm guessing it's not going to take long for that, that name to pop up into your brain. Once you have it, then be like your heavenly Father. And today or this week sometime, make the deliberate choice to go and somehow love that person. Establish the spiritual habit of doing something good for them, saying something nice to them, praying for God's best for them. Be kind, be helpful, be merciful. Notice Jesus says, do this and what? He says, your reward will be great. I mean, understand the habit of loving our enemies and doing good to them demonstrates to the world that we are God's people and reminds us just how loving and good God has been to you and me. Now, I've got to tell you, when I finished uh, studying this text, uh, I realized, okay, okay, I get it. I'm a, I'm a Christian, follower of Jesus. I am to be different. I'm not to be a person of reckless retaliation, but of reckless mercy. 
Uh, as a child of the Most High, I'm called to respond to, to my Heavenly Father, you know, to mirror Him and not mirror the evil of other human beings. I get it. I'm commanded to, to deliberately love my enemies, make the habit of doing good to anyone who mistreats me, even in the most minor of ways. Okay, I've got it. But I, I got to confess, there was still a part of me that, that viewed this approach to life as weak. I'm thinking, this is, this is weak. And I struggled with it. But then suddenly it was as if God said, Ray, if this is weakness, then my son Jesus is weak. Is that what you think? Is that what you're saying? And my answer was, well, no. No. And I began to remember how Jesus had enemies. He had a lot of them. Some of them were brutal to him. I mean, they treated him with injustice and unfairly condemned him. They slandered him. Some slapped him in the face. What did he do? Punch them back? No. He never lifted a hand against them. They stole his clothes. Did he ask for them back? No. They spit on him. Did he spit back? No. They cursed him, nailed him to a cross, mocked him, and watched him die. Did he curse them in return? Did he tell them to go to hell? No. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. In fact, the Apostle Peter reminds us how it all went down. Peter says, they hurled their insults at him, and he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Here's my personal case. Summary. Jesus deliberately loved the unlovable, people like me, and did what was eternally good for people like me who deserve nothing. And he loved you. And he did what was eternally good for you. He sacrificed himself in our place so that we might live forever. That kind of love is not, is not born out of weakness. It's born out of strength. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then you go today, this week, you go and you be different. And you mirror your Father in heaven. And you be strong. And you be merciful. And you, you make loving your enemies a spiritual habit in your life. And see what it does for you. And more importantly, see what it does for them. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I think we would all willingly admit that we enjoy coming together and, and growing and learning, but our preference is to deal with the easy sayings, the, the, the things that, are, that Jesus taught that are, are more palatable to us, those things that we can... Um, more quickly embrace. But these are hard words. These words kind of cut across our humanness. Because we like to, uh, we like revenge. And we have an inflated opinion of our own importance. And, and um, are quick to withhold the very things that we as your people have ourselves received. Love, mercy, grace and forgiveness. Lord, I, uh, I confess that in my own life. 
And I, I pray that you would enable us by the power of your spirit at work in us to be different. To be different, to respond to you, not to the, not to the evil behaviors of the people around us. That you would enable us to love not only our friends, not only our family, not only the, our neighbors, not only those who are nice to us, but enable us to love those who mistreat us, who say bad things about us, who um, abandon us or who betray us or who disagree with us and we just don't get along with, help us to love them. Empower us to do that, to do good for them, to pray for them, and to extend mercy to them. And in so doing, reflect you, our loving, merciful God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.